0: Come and talk is Jericho. It's the pod of thunder and rock and roll, and it's Friday. So that means it's time for the joke of the week. Hey, Chris Jericho, Jeff McCagan calling you. Um, I'm in rehearsals right now for my uh, little tenderness tour. I'm going to Europe in a couple of days. Uh, we do themes at rehearsals uh, sometimes. So, hence, tomorrow's Jamaican Hairstyle Day at work. I'm already dreading it. Thank you very much. Ah. Another uh, classic, shall we say, from Duff. And the Tenderness Tour actually started yesterday in Warsaw, Poland, with Duff, Shooter Jennings, and the rest of his band. They're in Berlin, Germany tonight, and they head to the Netherlands tomorrow. They'll kick off another round of dates in the United States on September 25th in Charlotte, North Carolina. Go see Duff. It's a great show, something a little different from the uh, Guns N' Roses style that you're used to. It's very, very cool, acoustic, country, uh, uh, rock and roll, and I think you're going to love it. So all the dates and ticket info is at Duff online com go check them out all right speaking of legendary we got the amazing kreskin here today he's the famous mind reading mentalist and magician that appeared on the johnny carson tonight show 88 times. Uh, that's one of the uh, the most uh, appearances ever on that show. Johnny's the one who gave Creskin the amazing part of his name. Creskin's going to tell us that story. Creskin's also sharing some of his other favorite Carson moments and talking about the time he read Carol Burnett's Mind on the Merv Griffin Show. This is old school Hollywood here, guys. And Creskin tells us a little bit about the work he used to do helping the police solve crimes. Yeah, he helped the police solve crimes. That's right. So here we go. The legendary, amazing Creskin on Talk is Jericho. Now... We're on the air now, because I don't want to.
1: Oh, on I, the don't air wanna keep,
0: I don't want to keep you anymore, but no, no, no. But, but I enjoy how, how you just said that because there's a real the, the kind of similarity between what I do and what you do. It's a show business. It's yes. it's yes. Uh, yes. suspending disbelief, right. but it's entertaining. It's connecting with the crowd and making sure that they leave satisfied and happy. And I got to ask you, B, now, folks. He, he didn't bring
1: me here for me to interview him, but I find people fascinating because of my uh, travels and uh, you know the airline industry announced. Uh, Two years ago, that I've at that point I've flown a little over uh, three and one half million miles. <laughs> yeah. So, three and a half million. And in fact, uh, one of the flights recently uh, united the pilots with Saint. I, I used to sit in the cockpit with them, but now with our, you know, our security change, you can't do it. So, they were talking to me before the flight. They said, Kreskin, all of us combined here in the cockpit have not flown. amount of miles well you know five and a half years touring Saudi Arabia that's a whole I've written 20 books now my 21st book is just being completed but and they're not fiction books but they're experiences and because I'm dealing I guess the key uh, why uh, and I don't I don't brag about this but I think it's one of the keys and that is that the uh, my work there's no real boundary between myself and my audience because the audience is part of what i do they didn't come to see a magic act to see illusions to watch dancers to uh, they came to be a part of my working with them and this is true whether it's uh you know like the minnesota state fair i guess that was ten thousand people outdoors and uh, in canada at toronto uh, a year ago uh, the 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 popular uh, 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 I guess it's a, a celebration in, in the city that mm-hmm. goes on for a week. I did, uh, I don't know how many thousands we had each audience, but I did uh, in 19 days, 29 shows. But then, and yet there's just private shows. And on a few days ago was a, in a, a hotel. A, a producer got 12, 14 of his people and I performed for them. But I'm dealing with how people think and that's mm-hmm. I think that's the the exciting thing about my life. You know? Let's
0: stop this because you're a mentalist yeah Answer i'm not a psychic i don't foretell no no the future well, I, what is a mentalist well for
1: t- me the, the, the best way i can explain it is the riviera um, when i was headlining there a, a year year and a half ago uh one night i said uh who's thinking of these two names and this elderly gentleman stood up and i said how do you know these people he says kreskin we're not from here we're from another part of the country, uh, and there are pet dogs. We love animals. I love animals. I, I have a passion for animals. And uh, I said, didn't you say to your wife, I wonder if Crest can tell, can tell me my uh, Army serial number? I wish it was on camera then, because he slams his fist down, because there, there were small tables that everybody was sitting at in this room. And he said, yeah, I was at, we were, we're not staying here, we're at another hotel in town, and that was two hours ago at dinner. I said to I said, I wonder if he could, I said, who knows your army number? And those of you listening in can test this. Ask any gal or guy who's been in the service, they will never forget their army number, but they've never told anybody. My uncles who were in the army in the Second World War, they said, you know, we, we never meant because it was not part of conversation, it's not of interest to people. But he said, of course I know the number, and uh, if he didn't know it, I couldn't look in a crystal ball. I've tried looking in crystal balls, but I get massive headaches. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I gave him his exact army number, at You're all the, the name, digits.
0: rank, and serial—the serial number,
1: exact. Uh, wow! And he, and he was in World War II, so it, it is uh, uh, the fellow that uh, just passed uh, away uh, had the the show Lifestyle, the rich and famous, Robert Leach, a year ago. Very nice of him because he had retired and so forth. I he would come to my home and all that, and. Uh, He said, Chris, I want you to have a copy of what you did on the show because he said uh, it was unheard of. And uh, I said, you know, I never, in those days, we didn't all have televisions in our homes and what have you. And uh, he came to my house. And at the end, I I said, you know, Robin, I got an idea. Why don't I told him? He looked at me and he said, you're willing to try that? I said, yes. He said, I'll tell you what, if it fails, we won't show it on the show. I said, Robin, I've built my career on integrity it's not a magic act and so forth and uh, I want you to promise me if I fail you must show it all the appearances I with the, you know the 88 Carson appearances and all those shows no but nothing was ever edited because I wanted people really to know this was not something rigged so the bottom line is uh, they, he sent a car to my home in New Jersey They drove me to New York to a tavern on the green and uh, I get there and there's about a dozen police cars there and uh, I get out of the car and uh, Cindy Adams, who's a columnist for New York Post, she right. was then, she's now, she gets out of this limousine and says, Kreskin, I'm, I'm meeting you here. And you were, the two of us are supposed to sit in the back of this limo, and it was a long limousine, but the only other person was the driver. She says, I understand I'm not supposed to speak to you, you're only to talk to the driver. And I said, yes, that's the conditions. So I got in, we sat there, and the challenge simply was, and I, I'm so pleased he sent me a copy of this, I had to find Robin Leach and the boundaries was that he was hiding somewhere in the entire city of New York. So I'm telling the driver to go down the street and the the police, I remember when it was all over the (laughs) press, and it was a nightmare because first of all, we didn't know where he was. And secondly, you're going down one way streets, the wrong way, we're trying to a crappy, it was kind of crazy. (laughs) Turns out I went to a, found this old beat up building and we got out of the car and uh, went in the elevator shaft and I slammed my fist against the door and walked out of the place and Cindy and Adam said to me later on and the crew they said we didn't know what happened I looked at the building and because the elevator only had eight floors and and I looked at the building it was like 22 or something I said well this makes more sense got in the elevator she and I went to the top floor which was the eighth floor the the camera crew because they couldn't all fit in it was an old building made us up there. They went in another elevator and we found a hidden elevator, took us to the top, got out of the uh, elevator and it's a sports club uh, but it's closed because it's early in the day and they're not open till the afternoon. And uh, we walk down long corridors and I stop and stand in front of a Olympic swimming pool and just stand there. She told me later on, she says, we didn't know what the hell was the matter with you. There's nobody in it. mm -hmm. I point to a door finally. I said, that's our destination. We go through, we open the door, and it's a large bar like this. And people are on the floor cleaning, and they're cleaning tables. And I'm walking through, the cameras are following me, and there's a man draped over a table. Looks like he's soused. And I put my hand on his shoulder and say, I think our uh, trip ends here. And he sits up, and Robin Leach says, get out the champagne. I found him in 44 minutes in the city of New York. And, uh... He's celebrating, and uh, Cindy says, you know, he was here earlier. He so what do you mean? She says, well, I don't know what, Kirsten, what, what was going on? He was standing outside the where the Olympic pool is, looking at it, and Robin Leach jumps up and says, get another bottle of champagne. It turns out, as you see in the video they sent me, he had changed his clothes to a bathing suit and thought it would be dramatic if I find him in the pool but after half an hour, he got waterlogged and changing and, and here I'm still looking at the pool. So my career is like an adventure. Yeah, that's all I can tell you. I, I, uh, I, uh, and I've uh, now it's coming out. Uh, I've worked on we all have to give something back for any success, and whether it's family or or friends or relatives. And I have, in my own way, it, ha- it isn't well known, but I've worked on 86 crime cases in my life. Mm. I've only been able to help in about a third of them. No, I haven't looked into some crystal ball and said, this person did the murder. But in crime cases, I've been I've been brought on situations where victims or police or witnesses had a confused image of what was going on. Things were not clear. And by working with them, I was able to crystallize what they saw in reality a couple of years ago, um, in the Midwest. I asked for a volunteer. I I want someone to play cards. This gentleman came up, up the steps. I said, do I know you? He said, yes, Cress, can we? And I said, please forgive me for interrupting. I don't want anything prearranged. Let's say hello to me after the show, during the meet and greet, and we'll talk. Where did I meet you? He says, I was hit by a car. I stopped. And I said, would you tell this story? 30 years ago or so, he was hit by a car in the Essex County area of New Jersey, and he was thrown some 50 to 60 to 70 feet, we don't know how much. And there were three witnesses, women, who became hysterical because it looked like he was dead. Turns out the police got him and and were, thought he was, and then realized there was some life and meeting him now, years later, he's in pretty darn good health and what have you. He says, I'm I'm glad to tell the story. They took him to the hospital and the police brought these three women who were hysterical because there was no description of what happened. They knew it was a car that hit them. They, to see me, they brought the first woman into my office and uh, I couldn't work with her, she was too hysterical. The second woman, I was able to calm her down and she I was able to finally piece together one half of the license plate, but not the whole thing. Third woman came in, I was able to work with her, got the other half, they got a license plate and the next day they got the car, the person had hit and run and left for Connecticut, gotten out of the state of New Jersey into Connecticut. And they found the car and thank God the crime was solved. What's interesting is two months later, I'm home in New Jersey. My brother was a policeman in the town. And he calls me and said, there's some police here. They're not in our department. They need to see you. And I said, well, bring them over, of course. So they came over and I said, I recognized them. I said, you have a new case. How? How did the the hit and run, they said, Creston, we've solved the case, we've got the guy and what have you. And I said, well, is a new case. And they says, no, no. I said, what do you mean? They said, do you know, two months ago, not this last case, we brought you a heavy heavyset man. We felt he had witnessed many crimes. I said, yes, I wasn't able to help. I'm sorry, gentlemen, uh, is there another? They said, no, we want you to know something. I said, what do you mean? They said, gentlemen, the deficit gentleman you couldn't work with, we know he was witnesses of crimes, but he seemed to be willing. You couldn't work with him. I said, yes. They said, he was the gentleman who committed the hit and run act three weeks ago that we caught in Connecticut. I said, oh, that's interesting. They said, it's probably good you weren't able to work with him. I said, what do you mean? He was the key head of the mafia in Essex County, New Jersey. And can you imagine, had I been able to work when I started getting information, I may not be here talking to you. Mm-hmm. So my career, there are sides of it people have no knowledge about, but it's, it's dramatic.
0: Oh. Is this all hunches that you no. have, Creskin? No,
1: no, it has to do with people's thinking. It has to do with their concentration. I can't tell a person a license number unless they're concentrating, but they've had to honestly focus their attention. Now, in the case of the crime cases, that's a different thing. I mean, I've worked with police who uh, I've done seminars with police to teach them how to relax after a, a traumatic situation. But there you have such trauma because, uh, and I could never be involved in police work, especially when you have, see cases where children have sure, been victims. Of course. And and I, I don't even want to go into it now. It's a, mm-hmm. it's not a winning situation. Yeah, yeah. Today you've got to be a lawyer, a psychologist, and also a policeman, and i I couldn't handle all of them. Mm-hmm. But then we can go a little bit over time. Don't worry. I'm glad we're talking. I'll stay sober. But anyway. <laughs> I got but- a bottle of vodka if you want. Oh, no, no Mike. My- <laughs> Judy said he has a lot of. My road manager would appreciate I'm not going to give you the wrong information about. No, no. But. Uh, but uh, uh, You're talking about. I'm the- talking about people, how they think and concentrate. And when, in the case of the, the crime solving cases, well, I'll tell you the beginning of my career. And by the way, this is a. I am in great celebration. And I any of your any of your listeners who hear my voice now, those of you that wrote me, I thank you completely. I cannot thank all the people in England and Canada, United States, and who all wrote me memos. I have read all the memos, but I can't answer them because my time ta- I can't answer all letters and what have you. It turns out we announced a couple of months ago, and I um, needless to say on Cloud9. The motion picture is now in production uh, that Hollywood is doing on my life story. No way! I'm so Great. thrilled, and I will tell you, and I swear to you, all of you listening in, it's true. It was not something we were seeking. They uh, came to me. The gentleman writing the this the the, the script has just about completed it, and uh, it's un it's un, it's un, unreal that something like this. Has there been that's a Kreskin like, cast yet? That's I <laughs> got to tell you. You ask me. There are people I know in, in Hollywood. People I know in the industry. And until they call me and they say Kreskin, who's playing you? This, and they, everybody has some suggestions. There are there are five or six men. Uh, Matt, you couldn't think of any of the ones that are recommended that they think should play. Jason pl- Schwartzman. Wow. Schwartzman. Yeah.
0: That's There's a great. That's my favorite. That's a that's great a real, call. They they've met. They mentioned five He's or six. He's Coppola's uh, nephew. Francis Ford Coppola's nephew, Jason Schwartzman. Yeah. Anyway, and the did you hear what he just said? Who's?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you what's incredible about that remark. The fellow that's writing the script is not with the Copel family, but is, he's a he's a he's a movie playwright. But his last name is Copel. I hear you wish this guy. <laughs> wow. What a
0: small. <laughs> but but
1: but um, it's it's exciting because. And by the way, folks listening in, they've agreed to leave certain parts of my. Uh, a life story out of the movie, so I won't go to prison. I'm only joking. <laughs> I'm only joking, but it's uh, it's but, and you know you know I am inter- no. But what's what's neat is that because my career has been more than only my entertainment, there's stories mm. that are that really are mind boggling. I mean, uh, uh, I uh, I have to tell you, uh, uh, needless to say, I've worked with all the celebrities through the years and whatever, and having done. Um, 80 shows with Carson. And, Which I want to talk about yeah, later. Yeah. And of course, let's face it, uh, one of the key things is what not everybody knows the story. I guess it will be part of the movie. But anyway, Carson did not know me early in my career and people in New York and, and Pennsylvania did and what have you. And uh, at that time, uh, Carson had not taken... Steve Allen had the
0: tonight had the show. show yeah.
1: One of the most brilliant men I've ever known. That <laughs> tremendous wit he in his will he sent me. He wanted me. To, he wants me to do. He wanted me to do the life story of a famous broadcaster in the past. But and and he's gone. I he was hit by a car or some, some a few years ago. But anyway, uh, before Carson had the show, uh, uh, Steve Allen had it, and then Steve Allen left the show and went to L. A. and had a late night show. So all the college students watched. I mean, he did crazy things. He was a riot, but he also had serious discussion. And Johnny Carson took over. So Steve Allen heard about me. And even though I was not known nationally and flew me out to LA and I get out there and uh, I'm going to do the show. And they said to me, uh, young man, did you want, uh, would, would you like to meet Mr. I said, you know, it would be interesting if I don't meet him because I don't prearrange what I do. They said, we understand. That's fine. So Steve Allen's now going to introduce me. He says, this young man has a gift. He said, they he said, uh, we're all interested in ESPN, what have you. Would you welcome uh, I didn't have the name Amazing. Mm-hmm. I I just said the name Kreskin. Did not the name Amazing. Would you welcome Kreskin? I walk out, and in those days, the lights and television in the 60s were very bright and hot, very hot. Now, I, Steve Allen is at the other end of the set, but I'm walking toward, and he's standing on a dais, the way everybody has done since then, and we... And I'm walking towards it, but I'm looking at the camera like I know it all. Sure, I know it all. The lights around the camera are so blinding, and as I'm getting close to him, it's getting blinding and blinding. I'm getting closer, and now I'm seeing flashes of light. <laughs> I turn to Steve Allen, go to shake hands with him, trip over the dais <laughs> and fall flat on my face. Now my family considers that the highlight of my career. Right. But anyway, Steve, <laughs> Steve Allen says, you all right, I said, I'm fine. And he wasn't that type of comedian, take advantage of that. And he said, let's go on. And he gave me about 35 minutes and what have you. But a man who always recorded The Tonight Show early in the day, uh, Johnny Carson, was watching because he had done the Carson, he had done his show early in the day in New York. He went home and he's with his wife and he's watching, he's a mentalist on. he's watching the show. And he sees that incident. And as I talked to him about it years later, seven weeks later, seven, eight weeks later, having seen the incident of my falling over creates a character called Karnak. And Carnick is yours truly. Falling wow. That, that's, that, and the last show I did, <laughs> the 88 shows to in the last show was kind of sad, because he hadn't announced his plans, but a lot of us knew about it. And I walk on, I didn't say that he was leaving the show, I didn't want it, but he would walk on, i say, you know, Johnny, you've been so special in my career. I mean, you know, people early in my career, people, when I was coming off of airplanes, would say, hi, amazing, hi. Mm-hmm. To my road manager, well, that's, that's nice that they're, that enthusiastic, hi, mean, turns out, and I didn't realize until one night I watched Carson. It was a Friday night, and I'm on on Monday, and Carson says to Ed McMahon, "He had this as a routine." He says, "Ed, Creskin uh, was on uh, uh, three weeks or what have you. He was only ninety uh, percent amazing." Ed McMahon, says, no, no, Johnny, it was ninety-two percent amazing, and, and in fact, I think, and, and, and no, I think it was ninety-four percent amazing. He played with it so long it became my. That's how I got the name. <laughs> amazing
0: Creskin, yeah. This is one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on, because, you know, I'm a huge Johnny Carson fanatic. Oh, I, I was born in 1970, so growing up, but I always saw you on there. And then when I found out you have 88 shows, shows. one of the... And it
1: says it says 61, but the truth of the matter is, and I can say this now, folks, uh, Johnny was very bitter because... Uh, but understand, folks, don't, don't blame a network and what have you. They didn't know any better in those days. It happened to Mike Douglas, too, which, whom I did 118 shows, what have you, what have you. But they erased mm. the first year of all his shows, mm. all those shows. And some were the first time a person peered Isn't on Isn't that them. amazing? Yeah. They would erase the tapes to have new yeah, tapes. Yeah, to yeah. do the shows. Yeah. And he was very bitter. So after the second year, he had copies made of every single show. And they were buried in concrete in parts of California because he felt that they should stay. And, and as the years went by, everybody realized you, how valuable these things were. But you know, in the early days, it, it, television was, a, was an adventure. It was an experiment. I mean, one thing to Carson's credit, which I wish more who were doing late night shows would learn from him, had one rule. You didn't edit what went wrong. You kept that on the show because it kept the credibility, the liveness and spontaneity. That's not true of television anymore. No, they Let's say not so. go into it. Every, the people are beginning to learn about this. Things that are happening, most of the things in people's homes and what have you. Well, I could say it now because it's gotten into print, but one of the uh, housewives' homes and so forth, the crews called me. They said, "Where do you see this incident? And I said, I don't get to watch the show. Well, they'll say, you will enjoy it because... They had to run through the thing eighteen times before they got it to look like it was spontaneous. <laughs> right. When you lose and his he had good philosophy, you lose the spontaneity. Something and if it, it's different it's different if it's a show where you have to have a script or whatever, that's the way a show is done. Mm-hmm. But when you lose what's given across a spontaneity, something becomes missing to the viewer and they sense it inwardly. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. Yes, you know this business backwards absolutely. and forwards. And you know it very well. It's
0: the same reason when we're talking, I don't have a list of questions, because no. that, that takes it to a different direction. Well, we're listening to each other and and, and and hearing the stories the way that they're flowing as if we're having a conversation Well you, you
1: said something very interesting because of the thousands of shows and, and then the one, hundreds with celebrities and what have you. In, in generally speaking, well, I'll tell you, how it came back. Let me give credit to the gentleman because he deserves, and the of course his career ended in scandal. That was Roger Ailes. But Roger Ailes made made the Fox. Uh, the so Fox was Roger show. the president of Fox? Roger no, he Ailes? was. He, he was brought in as a, as a consultant. Gotcha. He had, he had been the consultant to uh, four presidents. Mm. He was their advisor. Mm. I said him one day, I said, uh, when I was doing the Mike Douglas show, because I did 118 shows, I said, I uh, said, Roger why did you stay with the presidents? he says i said you, you what i mean he was advisor them." he says kreskin you can't get a god thing goddamn thing done in the in the political picture today there's so many advisors and rob, lobbyists that it could go on and he says i, I couldn't stand the pressure and uh, but anyway he uh, came to me one day and said do you know you always we always discuss with you a topic that we might like to bring up to you because you might have a philosophy on it. I'm, we know you can't solve everything, but you have an outlook on it. So they bring up issues or accidents or crises. He said, that we'd like to do something with you. We'll bring you on. You'll have your usual 30 minutes, which is a long time to have as a gift. We'd like to ask you one or two questions we're not going to tell you about. I said, uh, don't tell me anything about any of the questions. So in the last <laughs> 80 shows, I was never told those shows I did not know anything about, I had fun with and made funny remarks and so forth. But you know, and I tell this to all of you listening and they're going to college, they're going into businesses where you're gonna deal with us and so forth. For God's sakes, do something which is disappearing from US culture today. It is one of the greatest crises that we have in our country today. We're not listening to each other. You show me a person that has 200 friends on the internet, and I will show you a very lonely person. Mm. And sociologists agree. They say, we're so used to quick answers mm-hmm. that we're not thinking about what someone says or reflecting upon it later on. And that's how some of the best interviews came about. We were sitting down, going to talk about a topic, and something came up, and I would give it, and they'd say, "You know," and they'd think of something else to ask me. And that's what made mm-hmm. communication interesting. Absolutely, and the
0: best communicators—that's the way they function. Sure, that's why this is the podcast. It's a great way to communicate. Yes. It's a long-form interview where it's not just a tense, you know, a junket where you give the same answer every six minutes. No, you I, get a chance to kind of actually really relate that, to each other, and that's becoming the that's
1: becoming the new area mm-hmm. of, of interview. In, in absolutely, in it. it's becoming a major, some like like you're making it a major part, because, but, but but at the same time, those listening in, listen to what I'm saying, learn from this, because you've got to, it's not just hearing, it's reflecting upon the words being said, and that's the key. That's the key to all mm-hmm. great stories about people and all great interviews, mm-hmm. and as I said, I've written 20 books, I'm, I'm finishing my 21st book, and, uh, I, and I, I love my work, well, not last year, but mm. two years ago, if you took all the radio, television, and concert appearances, I did exactly 364 appearances around the world in that one year. They tell me, people's people know me because <laughs> they say, how do you keep, I jog every night for about 20 minutes, I'm a runner. Mm. Cause, and I don't jog with earphones because I read voraciously, not just writing, but I I have a library that the BBC in, Canada, in England has come to film, but uh, it's over uh, 8,000 mm-hmm. books. I, when I'm home, I read four books a night. And that's becoming more and more of a lost art, reading books, as sad as that is. But you know, the, the, but the point of the matter is, you, you read and you reflect. and I And if you read the great entrepreneurs in history, they all had one gift, most of them did, They knew how to stop the world and get off and listen to themselves. Einstein sat in a rowboat in Princeton University, they told me, and he pulled the oars in and let the boat drift. There was no one in the boat with him. He had to think about what he was studying and discussing all day long. And uh, JFK closed the door of the White House door after he had meetings with the military or with the economy or what have you. And his secretary knew, I will not not to call him unless it was an emergency. Mm -hmm. Those doors were closed. And during the 20 minutes, he was by himself. At first, he read for 10 minutes, trash, crap, crummy magazines to get his mind off of what he heard because he learned that by doing that, when he then started to reflect, things came to him that he did not pay Mm -hmm. attention to. That's a gift which people Mm -hmm. should learn. Mm -hmm. I could talk about my work. And somebody, <laughs> but but want, my work's exciting. I want to talk about some more. And your... by the way, folks, so you know, listening in, this gentleman I'm with now—he's been in broadcasting, he's been in the business a long time, communications. I dare not read his thoughts live on the air.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Still thinking about that vodka. <laughs> Tell us about some of your highlights from the Carson appearances because that's so amazing. That's the golden age of Carson. I will tell you a side story which we're thinking of making it part of the motion picture
1: and nobody knew about it. Fred de Cordova, his producer, uh, they all knew something was going on. Carson had a rule. He never met the guest before the show. Mm -hmm. That was a a rigid rule. Mm -hmm. But I I was going to do something with Carson that had some risk to it. Uh, and not that I was going to hurt I heard him, I didn't I want to take a chance, and I needed to see him. And his secretary said, let me call Johnny and ask him. And she says, all right, Kreskin, he respects you. You know, he does I said, I know. She says, you'll come in and, and we'll see him. So I come in to NBC, see, this is when it was in New York. Uh, he, later on, they'd fly me to LA, but it was in New York. I come in there and I'm there early. Instead of going to my dress room, his secretary says, well, let me take you to Johnny. He knows you're coming in. And she wasn't herself. And I'm working, I, I'm used to how people think. I said, you okay, yeah. We're walking down a long halt. I said, can I stop? Is everything, what's the matter? She says, Kreskin, he, I've been with him so many years, he doesn't see anybody before a program. I said, but he, he did give you, he said it was okay. She said, I said, please understand, it's for say his own safety. And she seemed to calm down. I went in and I, I saw him and uh, we were talking and I, did something with him, dealing with how he concentrated, he closed his eyes and what have you. He's about to leave, I see a deck of cards over there. I said, Johnny, uh, what do you, sit with the deck? He says, yeah, I said, I know you were a magician one time. He said, yeah. I said, I also know that you stunk, you couldn't. He said, yeah, I wasn't very good. <laughs> I said, I'm, I, I, I'm not known for slave hands, not my work, but let me show you something. I did something with him. and He, he said, you uh He said, what the hell did you do? And I said, well, I'll see you later. So now... It comes to what I'm gonna do with him and Bette Midler is sitting over here but I'm the last guest I'm sitting here and we get up and Johnny gets up and I said Ed would you come over and McMahon and Doc Severinson. I said place two chairs here and they don't know what I'm gonna do because there's no rehearsal and I said John I'm talking to you and as I talk to your eyes are gonna close what have you and something's gonna happen and looking scared as can be. And I said, if, John, if Johnny starts to fall backwards, stop him. And Ed said, are you kidding? Of course I will. <laughs> so Johnny starts swaying back. He left. And I said, I want you to lift him. And I explained. And they put his head on shoulder on one set of chairs, his feet on the other. And there was nothing in the middle of him. There was not some magic illusion. He was stretched between two chairs. And I asked Bet Middle to come over. No, she wouldn't. I said, please, Bet, come over. And she wouldn't, and Ed said, "She please." She told me later on. I had dinner with her months later in New York. She said, "Christ, I, I thought I'd be out, I'd be out of work." So finally, Fred DeCordover Said, "Ed, go over there." She came over. She knows what she should do. Now Johnny's between two chairs. His head's here. His feet are here, and there's He's nothing like in the
0: blanked, middle. Planked, yeah. Yeah.
1: I said, "Sit in the middle of him." She looked at me. I said, "What?" I said, "You sit in the middle." She did. I said, "Lift your legs." That picture, by the way, got in the centerfold of Parade <laughs> magazine on one of the Sunday supplements. All over the world was <laughs> a centerfold, and there she sat, and the audience was hushing, what have you, and McMahon and uh, Severance. So we lifted her off, and we slowly stood Johnny up, and I counted ten back to one. And his eyes open, he said, "Did I?" I said, yeah, bet Salamis." He said, "I would have sworn, it was a baby," and we finished and so forth. Now. A month or so later, I'm on the show, and I'm not doing anything. I'm doing something with some of the audience or one of the, one of the uh, uh, celebrities. Mm. I said, uh, we go to a commercial break. Johnny says, come over here, Kreskin. We're to break, I'm thinking, yeah, John, come over. Come over to his desk. I'm thinking, well, he doesn't do things behind the scenes of the viewer. He pulls the chair out from under his desk, pulls me under the desk. And Johnny and I crouched together, sit face to face under the desk. Now there's a commercial. He puts a deck of cards there and says, "Kreskin, do it. Oh, name a number, forty-seven. I, I do." And he said, "Jesus Christ, I did it four or five times." He says, "We got to get back on the air. Get back." I go over and sit with him. We're on there. We don't even talk about what happened. I did. And then when he went to L.A., uh, I did that eight times with him and it was like his favorite trick it was it was it was a it was a skill with cards oh. and uh he well, i went on with other things and when he retired ed uh, was at nbc he came we, he still consulted with nbc and i was on one of the shows and he came to my dressing room he says kreskin he says i can ask you now he's not one of us ever addressed carson on what you were doing We have no idea because he would have fired us right in the (laughs) air. He said, what the hell were you doing under the desk with him? And I explained because nobody knew the guests who were sitting next to us couldn't see. (laughs) Well, there was one point because he knew cards where he could set the 52 cards on the table shuffled. I said, well, give me a number. He said 28. Instantly, I gave him 28 cards like that. My fingers were so sensitive that I could feel every single wow. position. He couldn't believe. He said, "He said I, the, the long story. I'm I'm banned from casinos, gambling, all this shit." <laughs> but,
0: I'm sure. But anyway,
1: so so the situations <laughs> through the years with Johnny were, and but when mistakes took place, we had fun with them, and it became part of the uh, part of part the, of the drama of the show, and I. That's sad when that's lost. Steve Allen had that gift also because they they felt at home. They could ad lib mm-hmm. and play with something that didn't happen maybe the way it was supposed to happen. And I mean, he would kid me when I was uh, going to do something with playing cards with a celebrity because he knew I couldn't play poker or anything. And I uh, and and, and Merv Griffin who had a show also. I did mm-hmm. a, a, a I guess it was a. 105 Griffin shows, but Griffin always had a deck of cards on the set after a few shows and said to me, Creskin, I know you're here, you're going to read what people are thinking and so forth with our celebrity guests, but I want you to do something with cards with one of our guests. And the reason was, and people didn't know this, but Merv had a great passion for poker and told me how the most incredible poker player he ever played against, he said, I sat in her home, in the kitchen, in Rome, Italy, while she's on the phone with her son, who's maybe somewhere else in the world, or a daughter, is another a country, and she's maybe arguing. We're playing poker, and she's creaming us. And because it was the best poker player, it was Sophia Loren. Mm-hmm. He could never beat her at a game of poker. <laughs> so he wanted to see how other people he would could play how they thought when they played cards, because he was fascinated with the game of poker. By the way, folks. Uh, this gentleman here doesn't know it, but I won't even touch the cars. We're going to have a game of poker. I'm, no, I'm kidding you. People <laughs> would say you're absolutely, Carson would say you're out of your goddamn mind to do something like that.
0: <laughs> just a few last questions for you. Um, and I,
1: by the way, I, real quick. No, sir, please. If we can't, at this time in our history, if we can't laugh at ourselves, we're in goddamn trouble. Oh, yeah. And we're in trouble right now. So right. see, I'll just tell me this. Uh, Seinfeld, who announced a year ago he will never work in a university again, and now seven other comedians also. I've done a thousand university shows in this country, Canada. Why won't they because, work in universities anymore? Because political this is unheard of. They now edit what a comedian can joke about. Oh. That is unheard of. Second World War, I sat in a movie theater as a kid where I would watch cartoons, and, and there was the newsreels, and there's Franklin Delano Roosevelt, World War II taking place, and there is uh, Milton Burroughs, Bob Hope, Talking and you could see Roosevelt laughing because he mocked everybody. We
0: can't laugh at ourselves. That's serious, mm. and we're in trouble. And mm. the commentary there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned that you would, when you were on the car show, you would read celebrities' minds. Yeah, their thoughts. What they so, were thinking. Well, a, lo, a I mean, there were all kinds of
1: the, you know, uh, Sophia, uh, not Sophia Loren, but uh, Arlene Francis was on a lot of performers and what have you. And a lot of times they'd come in from a. Uh, uh they're making a movie or something mm. like that and I'd be sitting with them and i'd say you know here's a book uh, turn any page and uh, uh Carson did an interview with this person turn any page and they're there and I'll look at a, uh, some words on the page I'll suddenly interrupt them and say is your foot all right and go like this and uh, one of the gals i, I I'm, I'm it wasn't it wasn't uh wasn't Arlene. Anyway, it turns out during the rehearsal of the show, she had tripped and hurt her ankle Hmm. in some way. Well, the girl that the gal who was famous for pulling her ear, Carol Burnett. I love her. Yeah. She and I have an inside gag and (laughs) Carson and so forth. I am, uh, we're on a show and uh, it was the Mike Douglas show. And Mike, I was, I was asked to be on for a week. And that was a very special honor yeah because they they but they were very good to me and mike says you know can we, we won't have her on the air we don't have a camera in that area but we'd like to interview her about some thing. it was carol burnett and we're talking and i can't see her mm-hmm. i said carol i i'm gonna try to read your thoughts let's not make it difficult think of something that you can see in the room what have you and she's all right or Creskin, I have something. I just want you to concentrate. And I wrote something on a square blackboard. And I gave it to Mike to hold away from the camera. I said, Carol, what are you thinking of? She says, Creskin, I'm not in home. I'm in a studio, my manager, and I was look I'm looking at a tree, I'm looking out the window. Well, my face fell. And I said, Well, Carol, I didn't get what you were thinking of, and Mike showed the camera, and it was a uh, a figure. It was a bronze figure, mm. and she screamed. Mm. And Mike said, are you okay? She says, Mike, Chris can hear me? Yes. She says, all the time. I've been in my office looking out the window. I've been holding a bronze statue that was on the desk of my manager, <laughs> and that's what I've been holding all this time. And she wasn't even concentrating on it. right? So, but that's how it came. So my experiences sometimes are, but then the one thing we should be for, we we should really address because it's my signature and it's been written about all over the world. And no one in the world is doing this regularly in their performances, but it is quite true in most of my performances during the show, whether it's a concert, a theater, a state fair, a private gift fair, I have my check brought forward.
0: or oh, check I, for the show. My, for, or you handed can you your guarantee, yeah.
1: And I get from the audience a committee of six people, six or eight people. In theaters, Carnegie Hall, you have four balconies there and what have you. And I hand the committee, uh, four of them, my check. Two of the committee members escort me from the theater. Uh, in, uh, when I was doing this in Toronto outdoors for a state fair, they didn't have a place to take me out of because I was outdoors. They had a uh, van off the stage and the windows were all Wallpaper closed and I was taken in by part of the committee and the doors were closed so the committee could say I could not see what happened. While I'm out of the theater, what have you, my check is hidden anywhere within the theater. The committee must hide it. It must be accessible, not dangerous like falling off of scaffolds or whatever, but but they must know exactly where they've hidden and they come back to the stage. And when I come back in and brought to the stage, there's no questions asked. The committee does not speak to me. I take one of the committee members and say, I want you to concentrate on what I've done. Do not speak to me ever again. And I now walk through, and if I don't find my check hidden somewhere in that theater, I forfeit the entire fee. It's returned to the committee, to the organization that booked me, the company that booked me, or what have you. And the show is for free. And I failed 11 times. The last time was off Broadway this past year. But uh, through the years, and I've done it maybe over 3,000 times one of the most famous failures was in new zealand which i love i've toured there a number of times it was my first tour there second night i failed and i the press after the show came up to me and said could we have a press conference on the steps here tomorrow morning And i said, i they say we know you're upset chris and i said no but i'm more upset with myself they held there was over 100 reporters there because word got around not simply because i failed to find my check but i lost the night before exactly fifty-one thousand dollars the money was turned over to a couple of children's hospitals. Part of it was named after me. They named a wing after me and mm. what have you. But so it's a, but one of the most dramatic successes. Colleges are diabolical. I come back into this university in the Midwest. It's in a gymnasium, and it's crowded, because it's a it's a, not just the students but their parents. It's a family weekend. And I'm walking through, practically falling over people because they're sitting on the tarp and they're sitting on the bleachers. Come up to this elderly man, have him stand, ask and open his mouth, no check. I apologize. I said, sir, forgive me. I walk back through the stage through the crowd of people sitting on the floor and in the, in the bleachers, a couple of thousand. And I, there's one, another person on the committee, I said, listen, you're on the committee. You've hidden this. You know where it is. You've got to concentrate clearly in your mind. Don't talk. We walk to the audience and suddenly I freeze and I turn and it turns out I'm standing away from the second person, the second level, the bleachers who I talked to before. I had him stand up. I said, sir, if I embarrass you, <clears throat> sit down, it ends the test here, I've lost my fee. I said, would you open your mouth again? I looked at him and I said, does this have to do with the roof of your mouth? It's one of the picture incidents in my entire career. He reached in his mouth, took out his upper plates, and handed me my check. I could tell you stories.
0: They've become articles all, all over the world. Kreskin, amazing to have you uh, on, sir. You Thank know, you so By much. the way,
1: I'm not going to say goodbye to you. In the spirit of broadcasting,
0: let's just say to be continued. To be continued. Yes, sir.